Coming up, what's in my dirt? Turning trash into treasure with environmental remediation, developing a unique niche in IBP-style PUD projects, and decoding the property theater name. We're turning the mic over to Jacksonville commercial landowner and property theater broker, Cena Venus. But first, a tasty musical treat from one of Jacksonville's very own Firewater Tent Revival. Hello, Jacksonvillians. I'm your host, Ian Brown. This is the Jacksonville Commercial Real Estate Show, where we bring you dynamic local entrepreneurs, deal makers, and thought leaders ready to dive in and unpack the local commercial market so you can invest with greater confidence and accelerate your success. This show is lovingly produced by yours truly and Yield Coach Capital. To stay up to date on Jacksonville's nuanced commercial real estate market, real estate events, as well as investment opportunities, go to investwiththecoach.com answer a couple questions and join the team. In exchange, you'll receive 107 questions to ask a deal sponsor, so you'll be armed and dangerous when underwriting your next real estate investment. But enough for me. Today, I'm here with Jacksonville commercial landowner and property theater broker, Cena Venus. Cena, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Honored to be here. Oh, we are lucky to have Cena. He's he's uh, very noisy on social media. He, he rarely has time to stop moving his thumbs and posting to come on a show like this. So That's right. thank you. Thank you. You're blessed. Yeah. Of course that was facetious. I went on, I went on Cena's LinkedIn before we started and he has zero posts. So this is a big move. Yeah. It's a big movie. <laughs> this is on the, the podcast. Today is the beginning. That's right. right. We're going to get you viral. I love it. All right. So I start with a burning question. Um, see, Everyone's going to figure out pretty fast that I love this guy, Cena. He and I get along real well. So it's going to be hard for me to stay serious, but we're going to do our best. All right. All right. So my, my burning question, what's it like to have the coolest name in Jacksonville commercial real estate? Well, I will tell you, uh, usually people think I'm a woman. So <laughs> that I get a leg up that way. And then when they meet me in person, I sense a little bit of disappointment. They're looking for something a little bit more exotic. Um, you but, are exotic. You know, it makes it memorable at the very least. People can't spell it or pronounce it, but it's memorable. So you have this name that people can't spell or pronounce or identify to a gender, and right. um, and then <laughs> and then you decided and then you decided to work. <laughs> then you decided to hang your license somewhere where people aren't sure what you do. So that's right. <laughs> so tell us this about proper, <laughs> property theater. Yes, I love it. You You're just keep snacking. Keep people guessing. Yeah, keep them guessing. That's right. Well, you've done a good job, and I already know you, and I already know what you do. But I think that I think that the Jacksonville community needs to know um, what what is property theater. Where does that come from? Property theater. So the the origin of that and goes back to. Um, the principal, Justin Clark. And so I, he was originally with Skinnerland Development. That, that There's many factions of Skinner's, of course. This was Charlie Skinner. And then when Charlie Skinner retired, he launched his own thing. And a big part of what he was doing and continues to do, we all do at this point, uh, to this date, is kind of this concept of, you know, driving the market virtually and using GIS mapping and other um, tools from ArcGIS to help do analysis and so on. And so we, we kind of have a, it's really just conference room and then, um, you know, not able to do nice presentations. So the idea was, hey, this isn't just, 
you know, property brokerage. This is property theater. Join the theater. We even have little things of popcorn that we'll bring out for special clients. That's kind of what the what it was built on. And then, you know, kind of from there, it, it's not just brokerage. It's it's of course consulting and development as well. But that's kind of the origin. So you said something there. You have popcorn for special clients. Special. Um, I I have been to your office. And you didn't get any. I received no popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, at least That's I know right. where I stand. Um, That's right. All right. I, I could cut it up with you all day. I, I even, I was waiting for you to say something about this shirt. I put out this shirt. I popped the tag off this shirt five minutes before. I got out. it. I thought it was, I couldn't tell if it was just shimmery or what is the pattern. <laughs> is, there, is there a pattern? What What's going on there? I, I'm not sure. It's, it, it is very smooth and silky, kind of like a spandexy polo shirt. And I'd say it kind of mimics like, I don't know, like an animal, maybe like an alligator, okay. an alligator meets like a tropical plant. I'm not sure, but that's fitting for you. I okay, think thank that, you. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm trying <laughs> to be Florida man. This is like a Florida man, you know, golf polo. So just coming out of the swamp with this thing. All right. So to be fair, I can't tease you too much on this, on this property theater name. And you know, my company, I named it yield coach. And so like, clearly I must love having people be confused as well. Because I think one of the most common questions I get, which you probably get with property theater, like, what is it? What do you do? Like, I didn't pick a name that's super obvious with like what service correlates. And when I when I named it, I actually anticipated it's really what I'm doing, an educational thought leadership component, as well as investments, investment offerings. And although we do have both, that's a little tricky to explain to people sometimes. And then I was like, well, should I rename the company? And I decided no. And here's one reason why. These names over time, it almost doesn't really matter what they are. Right. Like, yeah. what is PNC? You know, what? And here's, here's a local one. JWB. Love those guys. Uh, had Greg Cohen on our previous iteration of the show with JWB co-founder. But that was actually Jacksonville Wealth Builders. That people used to call them that. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. L little little Jacksonville uh, real estate trivia there for you. I cannot remember the last time I heard someone say Jacksonville Wealth Builders. They're just JWB and JWB right. Cares and JWB Capital. And so my, I'm like, you know what? Maybe we'll just evolve to like YC YC Capital. Something. You are your brand. People know you. They know what you do. It doesn't matter what it's called. I would a imagine. Amen. Amen. We'll we'll rock with that. So. I like to think, you know, I won't pigeonhole you. Every guest has a lot more to offer than I, you know, I try to, I try to give you kind of like some talking points as a guest where we can highlight some cool things that I know you've done with you. You've done a lot, but there's one thing that you, that you've done that I thought we could jump into is like an anecdote. And I, I kind of touched on it with that little opening line about yeah, what's in my dirt, turning trash into treasure. Tell us about your you know, give us a story and ideally a takeaway or two yeah. on, on that uh, environmental remediation, environmental work you had to do. Kind of where was the site, what you had to do, what did you sure. learn? So, you know, this was this was really more inherited. This was um, this was some land that my father, along with a very close cousin of his who who is a environmental engineer, they had targeted this piece of property in Jacksonville in mid 80s. And he, the environmental engineer had the foresight to look at it and say, look, this is household trash. This is, you know, construction debris. 
what what they're dumping, what they've dumped here. That I think the the dump closed mid nineteen forties. Um, what they're dumping here, everything, all the contaminants are going to dissipate. It's a good location. Just buy it. We'll sit on it. And so that's what they did. And then, you know, by the time I was, you know, more involved in real estate, it kind of came to the time when it was becoming popular. And, um, you know, what he had said is, had come true. There was really no contamination. It was just kind of debris that you had to remove. And so was fortunate enough to really just kind of put together a team that was able to get through that site and do the cleanup. I mean, it was scary. It looked like a bomb went off. I mean, it was absurdly, um, what's the right way? I mean, it just looked like a disaster zone. And seeing and, where, just for a little context, yeah. where, uh, for the for the audience, where in Jacksonville was it? Roughly how many acres? So this is Phillips Highway and Cypress Plaza Drive. Cypress Plaza Drive is, oh gosh, maybe a half mile south of JTB. And really that area, so from Cypress Plaza Drive down to, I think, Bay Meadows Way, and then east across I-95 and then to Salisbury Road, Pottsburg Creek, that whole area was a dump site um, back in the 40s, some a little bit um, newer than that. Um, and so, you know, not only was it a disaster, but it was on, you know, it was like front row right on Phillips Highway so everybody could see it and complain about it. So it was definitely a scary thing to jump into. I didn't really know anything about it we were just saying, all right, well, let's give it a shot and see if we could clean it up. Um, and it was, it was very fruitful and, you know, it was, it's kind of Jacksonville is getting to the, to the time when, you know, it's more info and there just isn't land anywhere. And so these are, these kinds of sites are becoming more popular, you know, in looking at other cities in Florida, it's kind of already happened, you know, that, People have seen the value of these types of sites and they're, you know, again, you have the right team around you, somebody you can trust, somebody, you know, can evaluate the site properly. There's no issue in cleaning it up. And on top of that, if you engineer it correctly, you can actually get a lot out of it. You know, you can filter dirt from the trash and use that in your development. So it was a great, not only did it bring value to the land that we own specifically, but it kind of opened some eyes and doors to future opportunities as well. A couple of basic questions. Why can you not develop the site with all the household trash in it? The main reason, really two reasons. So one would be from a, if it's a dump site, you won't get a clean phase one. So without that phase one, you won't get any lending. Um, that is one part of it. And then, Separate from that is really just more compaction. So the way that they would do these sites, and I guess, you know, it depends. Some sites are different, but generally they would do trench and fill. So they would dig this huge trench, throw the, throw the trash in it, and then cover it up with dirt. And then you might have a couple of layers of that. So you could be down 20 feet, a five-foot cell of trash, a layer of dirt, another five foot cell of trash, another layer of dirt, et cetera. And so you can't put a building on that. Obviously it will, 
um, it'll collapse. So that's why you've got to go in and remove the trash, filter the dirt, and then, you know, compact the, the land as you put it back. You know, did you guys consider just maybe like a, a village of yurts? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always partial to a yurt. Yeah, um, yeah. Just, I'm just trying to be a yeah. problem solver here. That's yeah. always, you know, that's one way you could go. I sold, um, and I think you might be aware of it, I sold uh, a parcel kind of next to what was Pure Power Sports. You can see it from Yes, from that's 95. off Salisbury. Off Same Salisbury. Track. Yeah. yeah, so you can see it to the, if you're heading 95 south, you can see it to the left off 95 by, by Pure Power Sports on Salisbury, or what was Pure Power Sports. And it, it had household trash all through it. And um, I'm really, you know, that we all had the ones that got away. But that property, it had a lot of uplands and it had household trash in it. But all the people that called me on it, this is a little while ago, this is probably seven years ago. Everybody calling me on it wanted to do um, either industrial development and the soils right. just, you know, the, the soils wouldn't allow you. Like you said, the compaction, you would have to dig it all out. And um, and then there was one group that ended up buying it and they have just done like surface storage and um, like palm trees and like a commercial wholesale nursery with all this yeah. land. And I, I cringe to tell you what they paid, 500 grand. Yeah. That and was it, like, wasn't that track like 20 uh, acres or something like that? Over 20 upland, cleared. Yeah. Wow. So it was just one of those things. It's like people got so scared. That's why I wanted to bring this up on today's episode. You know, people get very intimidated by the environment, the word environmental, any environmental issue. Well, the environmental issues, and I'm not going to purport myself to be an environmental expert. I just kind of know what I've known as I've come into in and out of deals over the past 18 years, but they're not all created equal. Not all these risks are the same. And so I think that you're, I think that what you're telling us, you know, I'm sure you, there were some lessons learned, but what'd you yeah. say earlier? You're like, we're just going to get into it, roll up our sleeves and figure it out. And, you know, being consistent and persistent in a commercial real estate deal, you can get a lot of things figured out. There, there aren't a whole lot of like fire drills in commercial real estate. I like what the, um, there's a, there's a kind of a joke in like uh, the land use lawyer world. Like there's, there are no land use emergencies. So if you do that, if you do that kind of law, uh, you don't have a client, you know, <laughs> calling you for, for bail at, at one in the morning. Right. But, you know, <laughs> commercial real estate, barring some like tight deadlines. I mean, things get a little hectic with lending and underwriting and usually just contract hurdles. But once the deal's closed, there's not usually a whole lot of fire drills. So if you're, if you're willing to keep like eating the elephant one bite at a time, uh, removing the trash one sack at a time, you know, you might be able to get there. That's the tough part. Like you said, it's, it, there is risk. There's a little bit of an unknown. I mean, if you hit contamination, it, yeah, that's a whole different set of problems. So there's issues to run through, but you know, it's just like with anything, you, you've got to, at least in my, you can play it safe, but you know, your, your ceiling is going to be lowered. It's, at some points you just got to, you know, jump in and make a calculated risk, but jump in and try to get something done. And it should help you in that instance and, and in the future. I mean, just generally. And with that site that you just described, Sina, what was, um, what is, or was the development plan for that site? So, you know, the original site, it's funny, we we cleaned up um, the frontage. Uh, that was about seven, no, about 10 acres. And so we had an immediate buyer um, who built Flex Warehouse Development. 
And the person that built Flex Warehouse Development is was Property Theater. So that's how I kind of got involved and working with Property Theater was that specific deal. But then beyond that, it was not only did we have the clean land to sell, it kind of showed people that, hey, look, this isn't difficult. You can do it. So we were able to actually sell land with trash in it as well as, you know, clean it up as at a premium. Um, and so to date, I think we've sold a total of, gosh, I would say around 30 acres out there. And what do you have left, if, if any? We've got, all we have left at this point is the frontage parcel, which is about seven and a half to eight acres. And the only reason that hasn't sold is because I'm trying to develop it myself. Okay. Gotcha. Um, in that world of development, I have, you know, I have another thing in mind to, to bring up with you. And that is you have somewhat created or, or, you know, you and Justin and property theater, I think you're somewhat pioneering in, in this, um, in this development of this, I called it IBP style PUD. Yeah. And I know that's a lot of acronyms for those of you that don't speak Jacksonville commercial zoning code. IBP is industrial business park. And then a PUD is a site specific commercial plan. So what I'm, what I'm saying when I say that is a, a site specific drawing that kind of resonates or draws inspiration from IBP zoning code. But I'll pause there because I've seen you come before planning commission. I've seen you um, work on some of these projects. So tell me kind of how you came into that type of project and what led to needing almost like this new version um, to, to circumvent or work with Jacksonville zoning code. Right. Well, you know, the first, I guess, you know, the, the most recent example of it was actually St. John's County. And um, I think there were, we were just fortunate. Some of it was just kind of timing um, that, and it was at the time of COVID as well as, you know, just kind of this along with COVID, this movement towards, you know, distribution and shipping and, you know, uh, receiving. And, and um, so that was definitely part of it. And then another, just for St. John's County specifically, they were so starved for commercial. And then it, it really, a lot of it was around kind of fitness and sports and training and those types of uses. So what you ended up with is you had all these different needs but they traverse different zoning codes. And so it just didn't work. Um, and you couldn't take a traditional like light industrial type development and apply that and get the uses that people wanted out there. And I think thankfully the, the, the council and St. John's County, they listened, you know, they understood that, look, this is kind of a gap here. And so we were fortunate enough when we did our PUD the uses that we included now, of course, the land use was a mixed use land use. So it allowed us to do some of this. Um, but the, we pulled zoning from different areas and the, the county saw it as a benefit. I, you know, I, I think that was rare. I'd love to take credit for it and say it's all mine or Justin's presentation skills. But Go right um, yeah, so that was definitely part of it.
but <laughs> but um, I think a lot of it was just kind of them looking and seeing what was happening at the time. You know, they had this explosion of residential growth and development and not a lot of commercial. And so I think they were receptive to it. And I think, you know, with that allowance, it, it hasn't been abused. This is absolutely a need and the development you know, it kind of fit towards that need. It, we didn't skimp on parking. We didn't make that an issue. That's usually what you run into with higher intensive uses. So, I, you know, I, I think it worked out there. And now that, you know, you've kind of got this precedent of, hey, this works. This is what people want. This is what, what people need. Um, you know, we're looking to to expand upon it. We we had one that was kind of similar, um, you know, next to the 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 land that we cleaned up for trash. Um, we did one over there as well. And, you know, from that one to the one in St. John's County, we just kind of expanded the uses and it's, uh, it's turned out well. So we continue to look at um, opportunities for that type of development, not only Jacksonville. I know Ian, you and I talked about other sites as well in, in other cities as well. I think it's a real gap and, and a need um you know, to kind of have this more flexible space. And so, you know, where do you end up, like, where does the rubber meet the road where, like, what, well, let me say it this way, what combination of tenants ends up being problematic where it's like, um, I have some, I have some in mind, but I think it'd be better for you to say it. I'll, I'll probably just garble it up. But wh where do you tend to have a problem? Like, let's say I'm building a, a retail center. I have, I have a problem because I can't put this guy in there or I have a light industrial flex product, yeah. but I can't do I can't do this in the Jacksonville zoning code because kind of what you created is this interesting combination of tenants. It makes sense when you see your projects done. I totally get it. But uh, it kind of explain like what you were not able to do and, and what kind of led to this. So the biggest, so traditionally those kind of condo USA type developments, green roof, metal buildings, maybe some storefront glass and, uh, and split face block that you'll see around the, the the city still. Traditionally, those were done in light industrial zonings. And so, you know, that's more specific to like a kitchen and bath guy that has a small showroom and then, you know, just the warehouse in the back. Or, you know, um, maybe just a little more, you're more your tradesman. I'd say that's kind of what it was built on, AC guys, plumbing, et cetera. And so, what we started to see was you had these people that weren't industrial, but they weren't retail. It wasn't like all the way retail. The best example that keeps coming to mind is sports fitness. So like um, whether it was gyms or, uh, you know, jujitsu or um, batting, like batting cages or, uh, you know, just things along those lines. They didn't really have a home. It's not really retail. It's not industrial either. So that was kind of the one that really fit in this hybrid type model. But not only that, it was, you know, you just started to see more and more companies having a need for a, a distribution component. And so part of that was zoning. Part of it was the way that we built the parks and having a shared truck well and stuff like that. But um, that's kind of the bet. The fitness one is a big one. That's yeah. probably the best example that I can come up with. The fitness was the one that came to mind. Like when you came before planning commission, I think it was a fitness related user that kind of triggered 
the I, I don't remember in that application if you were looking for a variance or if you were just rezoning it. Um, but I know with your new construction right. projects, you'll do a PUD that gathers all these uses and and you're having to essentially kind of copy and paste from some of like IBP or retail or IL and, and start to drag some of these uses over. And maybe maybe you're typing in some new uses as well. Um, and so with that, you know, and I think the gyms, I've had a... Um, it's funny when you're a commercial real estate guy and you, and you work, I, I'm doing jujitsu. This happened at another gym where I used to work at when they, when you're, when the guy who owns the gym realizes you're in commercial real estate, they're always going to want to, it's happened every time. They always want <laughs> me to start bird dogging, you know, I want to buy a building or I want to, I want to do a second right. location here or this lease is about to expire or Hey, this lease expired four years ago, but no one's talked to me. And I'm like, uh, you got a lot of build out in here. You need to either negotiate some term or start looking. And uh, I mean, this stuff's happened so many times. But my, my point is like, as I've tried to kind of assist or help consult or place or broker some of these gym users, yeah, it, they're not that easy to place. Um, or you have people that have been operating um, out of bounds, you know, yes. there's, there's not a ton of enforcement. Um, right. You know, the, for the most part, Jacksonville's code is complaint-based. Um I mean, that's what they'll, t they'll tell you it's complaint based. I'm not sure. Right. Complaint, but yes, yeah, so you have people that are like kind of flying under the radar for a long time. Uh, and then they go to get a COU at a new place or with you, you're doing new construction. I mean, you don't want somebody to come in and do a bunch of build out for like a whole alt fitness, vertical fitness studio or jujitsu or whatever. And they can't get their COU. So, right. Um, I, but when you look at your finished product, it makes total sense to see this blend of like fitness and gym and light retail, a little bit of showroom distribution. Um, it all makes sense when you see it done. The only, you know, so you have your good neighbor rule and to date it's worked fairly well. And so the, the main thing that you, you just have to, the best way to guard against the issues as far as mixing all these different types of uses, in my opinion, is parking. As long as it's parked appropriately, who cares if mm -hmm. the guy next to you is, you know, has a if you have a fitness guy next to a you know a plumber they don't care yeah the, the body painting studio next to the florist yeah there they you go they can coexist <laughs> all right so i have um and i look forward to more of your projects i know you and i have discussed some potential sure. sites and um no i think what you have going it, it fits it hits a need in jacksonville i'm sure it hits in other cities but this show is jacksonville centric so i just i think that your combination of tenant base and the type of project that you build. Um, I, I think there's a lot of runway there. So appreciate it. Uh, um, I've been asking these, this question, I've been fortunate to have more of like the developer deal maker slash broker community on in recent episodes. Um, so I'm going to ask you a question I've asked others just to get your take on it. And it's a, it's the classic kind of crystal ball question. So, um, right. but looking here, we are recording. It's almost February of 24. And um, what, what's your what's your thought on 2024? Uh, where do you, commercially, you know, in the world that I'm not asking you to opine on things that are outside of your bailiwick, but with, right. within, in your world and your and your kind of core competency, what do you see? What do you see 24 versus what you saw in the go go days of you know maybe 2021, 22 last year versus you know going forward? So kind of kind of where we are in your world on that curve. I think in general, you know there's got to be some sort of correction. But I do think Jacksonville is insulated because of its just plain growth. Um, 
you know, it's still top three. It's still, you know, between Jacksonville, Tampa, Orlando. That's where everybody's going. I mean, you know all the reasons, all the different A-plus rated schools and, you know, the type of city that it is and so on. And so, I, you know, yes, the, there might be somewhat of a slowdown, but I keep hearing that and I don't see it. I don't see land prices going down. I don't see development costs going down. And I don't see development slowing down. So it it just continues to go. And I think, it again, it's just because people want to live here and they continue to move here in droves. Even the most recent numbers are huge, especially considering, you know, we're only a million, you know, or so people are less than that around there. Um, but still that high growth, I think, is still makes Jacksonville attractive. And I do think rates are going to go down. They're not going to fall off a cliff, but they'll be, you know, slowing down a little bit. So you should be able to get more deals done, you know, just given the financing component as well. Yeah. And, you know, the rate things are funny. I've been dwelling on that as I've, you know, we've kind of ramped up this Jacksonville podcast. We've had some great guests and I've asked the same question. And, and kind of one thing that I'm starting to like deduce is the interest rate itself. It, it's really like, it's more than that. So I guess what I'm getting at is like people, people don't want to be wrong on a trend. It's not necessarily like, does this rate exactly make my deal pencil out? And the rate from a year ago didn't yeah. pencil out. It's almost like, well, is last year's rate still just creeping and when does it stop creeping? And what does that mean? And what about all this stuff I don't necessarily know, or maybe I don't understand. And so it's almost like this, um, it's like a beacon, you know, or like a homing pigeon, or it's just one of these things where it's like, okay, well, if rates are, if rates are settling down, let's say a point for conversation purposes in 2024, well, then you kind of just feel like just a little bit of ease, a little bit of confidence, a little bit of movement, a little bit of momentum. Is it necessarily correlated exactly to the basis points and the interest rate on your new mortgage? Honestly, probably not, or certainly not a hundred percent, but yeah. it, it has this real symbolic factor. And, and, um, and I did I did commercial real estate as a as an appraiser and consultant through mostly appraising commercial real estate through the downturn. A little bit of the go-go days, had a little of that 07, early 08, you know, non-recourse, 90% loan to value, um, new construction on $50 million Hampton Inns. And we were, I was, <laughs> I was um, you know, I was only in my 20s and I was like, wow, this is commercial real estate. And, um, you know, but then I, then I appraised right through the, right through the downturn, bunch of bank owned property and just, and I've said this before and I'll say it again. I just don't see, we were losing so many jobs when I was appraising in my twenties. So I would get the new order from the bank to go appraise whatever the retail center, the apartment, the Marina. Yeah. Whatever. And at the same time, the news is we just lost half a million jobs this month. Next month, we just lost another half a million jobs. Like, those are not our headlines. And in Florida, to your point, we're picking up net counting people dying and leaving over a thousand people a day in Florida. So, I mean, you have an entire city population coming every year right now. So it's just one of those things, the population, the migration to Florida really helps. And of course, no state income tax. Yes. People wonder like, can land get any more expensive? Can construction get any more expensive? Can we really, at the end of the day, you can only pay you can only pay that much for land and construction right. equals a rent, whether it's a rent from an individual in an apartment or it's a rent from a business um, in the form of a lease. Either way, there has to be some discretionary income to push these rents. And you, that's where you start to wonder, like, are we kind of getting to like a 
a break-even teetering point. I had Sean Mayberry on uh, the most recent episode. Okay. Uh, episode before this. I don't know the episode count, what it's going to be just yet. But I said, he's doing a lot of commercial land with Franklin Street. And I said, what is making your phone ring right now? What are those people calling you on? The, the land developers. He said, residential development. And that could be town townhomes or single family paired villas, which is fancy talk for duplexes. Um, but not so much multifamily. Because the multifamily is so much vertical construction relative to the land, you know, that's, I think those people are starting to kind of, he said he had 12 multifamily contracts and I think he's got one. I'd have to go back and listen to the episode again that, that, uh, that survived or still. Doctor. Huh. And then he said, retail, he said, retail's making his phone ring. So, and we were joking around about, you know, I guess, you know, I guess, e-commerce and Amazon and online shopping hasn't, hasn't totally killed, hasn't totally killed the retail sector because that is making his phone ring as well. So, you know, essentially residential construction um, from townhouses off into the low density, single family stuff and retail. And, um, and so it kind of reminds me too, like you're talking about your projects here. You are, there's demand. I have friends that own fitness studios. I know they want, they, they tell me every time I see them that they want to expand lease or buy. Well, if either you develop it and rent it to them or you do a condo project and sell them their unit or they go looking for buildings, you know, the, the, the revenue of, of the jujitsu guy, the pole studio girl, the whatever, they're looking for space. They're looking to expand. So it kind of speaks to like the, um, the operational strength of the local economy. And that, you know, that again, going back to that, not to just talk about the flex product at every turn, but you know, those types of groups, your retail, prime retail, you know, not everybody could pay 40 bucks a square foot. Um, and so that's one of the things that these flex products provide as well. You don't have the same type of construction costs. So your lease terms aren't going to be 40 bucks. They're going to be, you know, maybe in the 20s. So that that allows that type of group to get a retail it's essentially a retail play, but you're not paying retail numbers. Mm -hmm. No, I totally agree. Cause you're right. I, I have a, um, a hotel, a hotel owner colleague of mine, his son and daughter-in-law are looking at um, like an IV, um, like an IV franchise. And I'm, yeah. call, I'm calling on like some of the better locations in Jacksonville. And I'm like, Oh my God, retail, <laughs> Retail leasing rates have gone way up. <laughs> um, so, and and I'm not saying that they're not justified necessarily. You know, you have to kind of see the traffic right. and the demographics and the sales per square foot and all that. But my lord, so I mean, I, I was getting quoted in some locations at 50 a foot plus triple nets that are high single digit, and um, and some yeah, others, yeah, and um, and really? so it, yeah, and like there's just not there's not that many businesses and tenants that can that can stroke that type hey, of that price yeah. yeah so i think that your i think your product definitely serves serves a great niche All this right, is Cena. just yeah, one other ahead. thing and I, I know just to touch on it real quick just by you know i have been kind of insulated historically just kind of insulated doing work in jacksonville northeast florida not really looking beyond that and recently we've had the opportunity we're doing things in other cities in jacksonville and even outside of the state and the one thing that blows my mind is just land cost. So like traditionally, even end user land for, you know, big warehouses, for example, you know, you're maybe ideally you're five bucks, six bucks, seven bucks a square foot on the land. 
you go to Tampa or Orlando, it's 20 bucks a square foot for industrial land, which here, like we sold a prime piece in St. John's County's raw land, prime piece on racetrack road. That was, that was about 20 bucks. And I was, that was for, um, you know, that's like a retail, you know, maybe some high end residential type number, which is a very high number, but that anywhere else in, in these other cities, it's, it's nothing. And so it's, that's why, you know, we, you always talk about the residential side of it, where all these people come from, you know, wherever Miami or California or Texas or New York, and they look at the home prices and they're like, yeah, whatever, $2 million for 2000 square foot house. That sounds like a good deal. I think a lot, you start to do the same on the land side as well. Yeah, it is all perspective. You know, I have a brother that lives in Idaho. He teaches at University of Idaho and um, I'm sorry, his wife teaches there. He teaches at Washington State. And, um, you know, people come from California or they come from Seattle or wherever. And they're like, wow, this is quaint. There's mountains. It's calm. And there's actually kind of some cool stuff to do. A little slower pace of life. Everything is everything just looks to be, you know, half off. So it's just this like kind of. Buying <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think you're right. If you come up. You know, if you come up from Miami, the right. keys are the keys are kind of their own animal. They probably deserve like their own podcast. I'm sure they, they probably have their own podcast. But like the keys are their own animal. We used to appraise down there. I can barely explain it. The prices just depart from conventional wisdom and underwriting. But as you move like from like Miami on up, you know, yes, you do start to get some reasonably affordable commercial real estate as you get into Northeast Florida. What yeah. what I love is that we're kind of up here on our own island not literally but we don't have a big city that close to us like we are right. really it if you kind of lump in saint augustine and fernandina and kind of nassau the greater msa you know you got to get all the way down to daytona or orlando and that's a pretty good buffer um and so i noticed some developers or investors they just haven't made their way up to jacksonville but we're certainly seeing that you know we're, yeah. we're on the map we're definitely on the map with you know hotel growth we're gonna have a four seasons and a beachside four seasons you know pretty we're crazy it, yeah. Right. I mean, who would have thought I, I appraised hotels in my 20s and early 30s and it, the conventional wisdom was Jacksonville could not support a Four Seasons because of the rental, the ADR, the, the, the right. room rate required to do a Four Seasons. Jacksonville couldn't support. Here we are. We're, I mean, for I mean, we'll see if it works, but we're about to have one. I mean, the development coming downtown, the the although it's a little stalled right now, all the multifamily that that was built or is or is coming on right now um, and all the additional single family and lower density stuff coming on. So you know, we're still a city very much on a positive trajectory. Oh, yeah. Though. I have colleagues in other parts of the country and they just they sing a different tune. And I try not to be like foolishly optimistic, but I just I just not I'm just not seeing fundamental problems right now down here everything st still seems to be charging along everyone's well employed if they want to be employed there's land getting taken down there's people that want to buy the houses when they come online so you know off we go i had john rutherford from nai come on and um he told me we had back-to-back -back years of almost forty thousand new jobs each year wow Jackson. i mean and so you kind of wonder how some of these class a apartments were leasing up well if he's right about his there numbers, that, yeah, yeah, that would make sense. We're not bringing that many apartment units online. So, um, and young professionals tend to rent those types of apartments. So, all right, man, it's been a good time. I'm going to take you down to some, to some fun little closing questions right. that, I, that I ask everybody. Let's do it. The world wants to know, Cena Venus, why do you love Jacksonville? Oh man. You know, I wasn't born here. I was born in Chicago but we moved here where I, when I was about five. So I don't remember anything but Jacksonville. I pretty much lived here all my life. 
didn't go to college too far um, in Gainesville, but it's just home. Um, and so that that's really, I know that's really not the most detailed reason, but it is my home. These are where my friends are. I have the same basic group of friends that I had in high school and just kept that rolling. I live in the same area that I grew up in. Um, and so I, I love it. I always say it's Jacksonville to the death. I'm going to be here till it's all over. I love it. What What is that? A Duval till we die. I got to get you. Uh, some yeah. Of- See, yeah, that's probably a, a catchier way to say it. Hey, I didn't mean to take your thunder. It was a good answer. <laughs> I, I might have to get you one of those Duval till we die shirts, you know? Um, all right. Um, your favorite local restaurant. Favorite, the best restaurant in Jacksonville. That's not what you asked me, but I'm going to tell you. I, I want the world wants to know. The best restaurant in Jacksonville is Picasso's in in Mandarin. That is I've the never best. Never even heard of it. Best pizza, and that dude is a great chef. Their steak, I would put up against any other steak, anything. Their ramen, their pasta, all fresh made pasta. That's that is the best restaurant in Jacksonville. All right, I'm writing that down. All right, cool. We're going to check it out. I tell you what, this is like kind of my favorite part of the episode because I take notes on all this stuff or I'll listen to it later. And then I just take my family to all the all the places you guys talk about. All right. Yeah, test it out. Yeah. yeah. I had I had Katie Matora on from Visit Jacksonville and then I took she mentioned the Arboretum. We went to the Arboretum like the next weekend. They had this like uh, Night of Lights thing. And it, anyways, it was awesome. I'm like, I would have never gone. All right. Um your favorite place in Jacksonville, like a venue, a park, a trail, a, a location. Uh, I, you may or may not know this about me, but I don't do much of anything. <laughs> and so my favorite place is my back porch, um, with my smoker and TV and fridge. That's where I like to spend most of my time. That's it's a wonderful and fair answer. My follow-up question is, um, is it open to the public? It's open to you. Okay, it's open to me. I don't know about everybody else, but yeah, it's open to you. I love it. Okay, and lastly, where can people connect with you? Clearly not on LinkedIn. I'm not seeing much activity over here. Yeah. Where where can people connect with you? (laughs) You might have to call or text, to be honest with you. Um, uh, You you can always email me at sina at propertytheater.com. That's S-I-N-A at propertytheater.com. Or you can always... um, Call my cell or text my cell, 904-704-0296. You're, you about, to get, to oh, you're about to get blown up. He just put yeah, the cell I, out there. I love it. Yeah, I better I better turn this off. But uh, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I do have other social media listed, but I, maybe next year I, I would get back to you. So Yeah, we'll make that a 2025 goal. We'll get your first, there you go. Your first LinkedIn. Well, you we'll got to help you, me out. I'll help you out. We'll give you some some media from this podcast. And I'd like to, okay. see, I'd like to see your first post. Well, we'll, Sammy, our producer, (laughs) she'll make you a nice little nugget. Yeah, we'll make you a nice little nugget and you can put it up on LinkedIn. All right, I like it. We'll smile together. All right, it's been fun, man. I'm I'm going to bring it home now. All right, everybody, please rate, review, and follow us on whatever podcast platform you're enjoying today. It makes a huge difference. Allows us to bring you quality guests like Cena today. As I mentioned at the top of the show, to never miss a beat, go to investwiththecoach.com, answer a couple questions, join the team. If you are into social media, as much as Cena is, 
Uh, we are Yield Coach on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And that's a wrap on today's show. I really enjoyed this one. I was I was kind of buzzing. I was pretty pumped up to have Cena on the show. I love this guy. I'm your host, Ian Brown, signing off and reminding everyone to lace up and leave it all on the field. Yield Coach out. <laughs>